The Hawks are rolling and so is Patrick Kane. The Preds are already making some moves. A key part of the Columbus Blue Jackets has changed agents. The Ducks continue to be bad at the game of hockey. We have some injury updates and not a single ounce of Leafs news in sight. The uh, the Leafs re-signed Austin Matthews. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Why can't my Ottawa Senators have nice things? It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and I'm dying inside. <laughs> I'm I'm Brett Dubuff. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not dying inside. I in yeah. fact the opposite. The Patriots won the Super Bowl. Yeah, you're at the so, Super Bowl parade. Yeah, you're you're riding the coattails of uh, their victory parade now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I, I hope uh, I hope this week is going to be good and the Sens re-sign somebody. But uh, we're we're going to start off with a contract extension of sorts that could change the landscape of the NHL. But before we do that, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia as we do every week. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am. Yes. All right, we are at question forty-six, and here it is. What disability did Hall of Fame referee Bill Chadwick suffer from during his 1,000-plus game NHL career? Why so a, many... Sorry. Why so many, like, referee questions, it seems? I don't know. <laughs> this is the second straight week where he's had a, a referee question. This it's also... Yeah. Does it go by chapters? I guess it may... Must well, work. this is Hall of Fame related. I will say that. All right. Anyways, um, keep we're, on we're going. chapter. So what did doing. this referee injure that I'm supposed to so- somehow know? Okay. <laughs> well, to be fair, like half of these questions that I read to you, okay, 8% of the questions I read to you, it's a guessing game. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. All yeah. Right. So I'll, re- I'll, I'll reread the question just so you hear it. What disability did Hall of Fame referee Bill Chadwick suffer from during his 1,000-plus game NHL career? Was it A, he was unable to read or write? So that's option A. B, he was diagnosed with arrhythmia and a regular heartbeat. C, he was legally blind in one eye. Or D, he had a prosthetic limb below his right knee. Well, I don't think he would be a ref if he was legally blind. Um, And probably not, like, if he couldn't read or write, I don't think that would be well well either. So I'm going to go with an irregular heartbeat, which is B. He was legally blind in one eye. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. there, the, there's the, the first paragraph of this is interesting. It, uh, it, it reads, Although an errant puck to his right eye cost Bill Chadwick a playing career, he never lost sight of making the NHL or making a joke about being a visually impaired referee. As he told it, I used to get a chuckle in a game where I'd hear a fan yell, You're blind, Chadwick. I knew they were half right. <laughs> yeah, so he, was, he had a good sense of humor. That's good. I was thinking that because usually that's like the biggest insult for a ref yeah, is yeah. that you're blind or like just three blind refs or whatever. But now it's like, oh, he is actually blind. All yeah, right. actually, actually partially blind in one eye. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, um, that's uh, that's a good tidbit. I guess <laughs> now I feel bad for complaining about these ref questions. <laughs> That just was actually make, kind of interesting. Sure, 
Just make sure like yeah. all their eyesight's there and you're not actually right. throwing an insult at them. Exactly, exactly. Don't, don't take it too literal. Um so yeah, so this is so like Steve started the show, this is actually the second week where we're gonna talk about the Leafs. Um mm. again. Uh this time uh Austin Matthews gets signed. Uh, for five years, um, an eleven point six million annual average value. Um, for reference, this would mean that when the time this contract is done, uh, Austin Matthews will be a UFA. It would be his like he, if he signed a four year contract, he would still be an RFA. Um, so, um, so this lasts his entire UFA. Uh, contract, which to me is the most interesting thing about this contract. Um, other things before I get into my general reaction to it, um, like you know, uh, Connor McDavid's making like ten million, um, so this is already uh, more expensive. Oh no, twelve. Connor McDavid's making twelve point five million. Sorry, I thought it was ten million. Ten million. Um, so this is like a round where. Um, Austin Matthews is, um, which is, uh, I guess it's, it's a good comparable, obviously Connor McDavid's better, but Austin Matthews means so much to the, the Maple Leafs team. Um, and, uh, he's making 600 more, 600,000 more than John Tavares is currently. Um, yeah, my, my biggest takeaway here is, is that Matthews, um, opted for a five year deal. Um, which means that he's going to be a UFA in 2014, 2025. Um, when instead, like, you know, like usually when someone of Matthews's skill level, they often take an eight year deal. Um, so it's just interesting that he wanted to, um, and he could be paid even more, um, in his UFA year, um, you know, for the rest of his, uh, season. So he's, he's going to get another paycheck pretty soon uh, unless he gets injured, um, horrifically, of course, but, um, that is unlikely to happen. I'll knock on wood here, but it's, um, you know, so it kind of, I don't know if I necessarily love this idea, but I think this is going to be a trend for the future for every other, player um especially ones that are rfas this coming year is that you know more more players are going to try to opt for fewer years just so that they could they can get a second paycheck the next um you know so they have two paychecks in their in their careers mm -hmm. yeah so when when you look at um whether or not this deal works for both sides. So you look at Matthew's stats, um, second highest average annual value for a single player next year. Of course, McDavid is number one. Right. Um, so when you look at Matthew's stats, uh, he ranks third in goals per game lead wide since the start of his rookie campaign. Uh, at the time of this uh, signing, uh, I believe when I checked yesterday, he was actually second. Uh, he also ranked fifth in slot, uh, say, Ranked fifth in slot shots on target per contest with an average of 1.97. And uh, as far as points per game are concerned, he sat 21st at 0 0.98 at the time of his extension. 
The only other players to record more goals during that period of time um, are Ovechkin, Line, McDavid, Kucherov, and Pasternak. All of them have at least 100. Matthews has 98. Uh, currently sits second in even strength goals since the start of 2016-17, his rookie year. 77 of those and counting. Uh, 21 power play goals put him in the NHL's top 50. On 22 occasions, he scored the game's first goal. The only guy to do that more times during that stretch is Crosby. He is 23 of those. Um, 17 game winners for Austin Matthews. Only a single empty netter in his entire career. If you can believe that, only one empty netter. So he's actually had to work for pretty much every single goal he scored. Um, 14th in takeaways with 170. Um, he's played in fewer games than the 13 players in front of him on that list. Uh, average ice time per game since the start of his rookie year, 17 minutes, 55 seconds, 83rd amongst all NHL forwards. So from a league perspective, uh, Austin Matthews stacks up pretty well. Uh, when you look at the team perspective, though, this is absolutely massive for Maple Leafs fans yep. because That's true. when you look at what he's done for the team in his rookie year, 40 goals, 69 points, eight game winners, eight power play goals, 279 shots. That's for a rookie. And then the next year plays 20 fewer games, still scores 34 goals and 187 shots on goal. Shooting percentage goes up by 3.9 points, goes from 14.3 in his rookie year to 18.2 in year two. Almost at 20% this year, Matthews already has 24 goals on 123 shots, 47 points in his first 39 games. So in the early stages of this year, if you recall correctly, he was also at a goal per game pace. So there was actually a point where he could have been on pace to score 50 goals. Right. So when you look at the grand scheme of things and what he means to the Maple Leafs, before John Tavares came on board, before there was that buzz of, oh my, this this team is going all in. This immediately becomes a playoff contender every single year, more so a playoff contender now. Before John Tavares, before Mitch Marner excelled, before William Nylander excelled, the Leafs won the draft lottery in 2016 and everyone was super excited to have this guy potentially join their team. It all started with Austin Matthews. So it only seems fair to pay him like the star player on your team. Yep. So for that reason, I think he's worth it because of what he means to this team. Yeah, I think he it's definitely worth the contract. Um, and it's like, it makes sense for both sides where like Matthews can be a UFA next in five years and maybe he'll resign with the Maple Leafs, maybe not. Um, Arizona, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> and and then on the team side, it's like, it, it's helpful too, cause, um, cause yeah, sure, 11.6 is a lot of money for the short term, um, especially with Marner still to sign, which we'll get to in a second. Um, yeah. But at the same time, um, you know, it's not like, like, let's say all of a sudden Matthews starts to decline, then you can be like, okay, we only have him for three years as opposed to five years. Cause then when you look at like, like if you look at teams like the Ducks, the Kings, um, even like the Blackhawks now, 
like they're all like they all signed their core players a long time ago to eight years deal eight year deals and now like they're all stuck in this cap hell because they signed all these guys um and then and now they started to decline later on in their contract yeah, and, and they can't and really move it's them the term. Yeah, it's a term with all and it's all teams. it's the all Oilers, because of these the eight-year deals. Recently, yeah, more recently, the Oilers are in the same position. Too. Yep, the Oilers are another good example too. Um, so so it makes sense from a team perspective of only signing for short term as well, just because you never know. Like Matthews does look like he's going to be good for quite a, a while, even further than five years. In which case, then you sign him for more. But at the moment, it's like. You know, it's all about the years and, you know, you have to think even further from five years across the line. So I, I, I think it works both for both sides in, in that case. Um, let's go to yeah, especially when you consider that Matthews, if he continues to raise his game, he could be worth even more than what he's getting right, right now. Of course. So from yeah. a personal standpoint, this is a win for Matthews because yeah. he could get more money down the road. Exactly. Um, and he he might have more motivation that way too. Um, mm -hmm. Let's go to Mitch Marner. Um, so he's having a career year this year. Um, he's an RFA. Um, he saw his boy uh, William Nylander. I don't know if they're boys, but I, <laughs> I'd assume so. They're his teammate uh, get a pretty rich contract. He also saw his other boy Matthews get a pretty rich contract. Um, he's probably going to get a rich contract as well. Um, I know his agent and his family are kind of crazy because they kind of think that he's on par with like McDavid or or he's as, as good as Ma Austin Matthews is. Um, so, I think they're overly passionate and they want yeah. their son to get his money's worth. Like they're, it's just that, it's just that uh, they talk about it too much in the public eye sometimes, I yeah. feel like. There, he's kind of the Mitch Marner's dad is kind of like the Lavar Ball of the hockey. I knew you were gonna go there. I knew well, I emailed it to you. I emailed it to you, but uh, I did say it at the time. Uh, but yeah, like there was, I, I think I don't think it's as fully blown as Lavar. Yeah, Ball. but at the same Lavar time, Ball's on another level. At the same time, Mar uh, Marner's dad, I forget his first name, but he was saying how like in the OHL, Marner is it Paul Marner? Maybe, I don't know. I think, isn't it? Uh, anyways, I was going to say that, like, in the, um, like, a couple months ago, Marner told, Marner's dad told, like, reporters that he thought that Marner should be more respected uh, because, like, in the OHL, he had a better rec points than McDavid did in the OHL. <laughs> and there's, it was some weird thing. Yeah. There's a guy that played on the 67s named Peter Lee. He got like over 300, 400 points. He never became NHL famous. Yeah, but it, but it was just weird that the dad is just like bragging that like Marner was the best OHL player um, even more than McDavid and or something like that. So he's like still pissed off that Marner wasn't like um, a top player in the 2015 draft, which is fine. I mean, if you're if you're your son is like a really good hockey player of course you're gonna be like well he's the best player of all time you know you're you're your ultimate hype man but like from the rest of the world you're like 
no, he's not, you know, he's not, he's obviously not as good as McDavid. Anyways, um, so what is, what do we think? And then his agent said something where he's expecting to be, a, uh, he's expecting Marner, um, or he wants Marner to get a similar contract to Austin Matthews because he feels like they're comparable. Um, he later backtracked a little just because I guess that's kind of tampering. Um, to me, I just feel bad for Mitch Marner. Um, it just seems like there's so many, um, like his agent and his dad are very um, forthcoming with um, with their news stories. And it doesn't seem like Marner is that much of a, like a talkative, boastful guy. So it seems like uh, it's a little weird to, to be so public about Marner's appreciation when you should just, you know, so like focus, like it makes sense for Marner to, he's having a career year right now. Um, and it makes sense for Marner to wait till the summer because he can probably get much more um, if he waits. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like um, if he's expecting to get what Matthews is getting, I'm not sure it even makes sense. Like, I don't think the Leafs can even do that because they have Tavares um, also making $11 million. So, um, so I don't think it would make sense. It, it, like, in fact, it's impossible uh, for him to get $11 million. Um, but I don't know. Um, I think he could probably get maybe $8 million, uh, $9 million, uh, somewhere, and maybe a, a, like a five-year deal like Matthews got. Um, I could see that happening, but um, it, it's hard to see um, this contract not affecting their cap situation, um, like screwing them over. Yeah, thank you, Cats and Obvious. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I know, of course. Like, I feel like that's what everyone's saying. I think everything I said was, was pretty much Captain <laughs> Obvious, but yeah, I know you're right. <laughs> I guess that's part of uh, the one thing since then we happy to see is watching Leafs go through cap hell the next couple of years trying to right. juggle all of this. I mean, when you look at Tavares, Matthews, and Neilander combined, they made, uh, as far as $12 million, $180.15 million combined. Yep. And that's in less than a year. Uh, when you look at uh, some of Kyle Dubas's other signings, the cheapest signings outside of Tavares, Matthews, and Neilander, uh, and sorry, I mean most expensive signings outside of those three, are Rasmus Sandin, Lindgren, and Ian Scott. And those are entry-level contracts that don't even go above total of $3 million each. Yep. So out Matthews and Neilander, Kyle Dubas hasn't really spent much else. And when you look at uh, the least cap situation going forward, let's remind everyone the other key players that uh, they have to worry about. So, of course, we've mentioned time and time again, Jake Gardner's time as a Leaf is probably yep. done. Uh, Tyler Ennis, Ron Hainsey are also pending UFAs this year. Uh, they enter 2019-2020 at the moment with 14 of their current 22-man active roster under contract, eight forwards, five defense, one goalie. Um, Marlo Muzzin and Justin Hall are UFAs after next year. Um, assuming they get Gardner, Ennis, and Hainsey off the roster this year, that's over $7.5 off the books. Assuming all three of those, like I said, head elsewhere. So... Uh, they have a bit of that to spend on Mitch Marner. Um, but they also have Kasperi Kapanen, 
to sign. They have Andreas Johnson to sign. Yep. Uh, Garrett Sparks will need a new contract soon. Um, when you look at uh, other pieces, uh, Freddie Anderson, Zach Hyman, and Morgan Riley, uh, within the following two years after next year, all those are eligible to become UFAs. Uh, right now, Hyman makes an average annual value of $2.25 million. Uh, Anderson and Riley each make a $5 million average annual value at the moment. So let, let's keep it to next year for the time being. They need to pay seven guys in the roster. They have roughly $7.5 million to get them signed. And Marner is definitely worth more than $7.5 million per year because when you look at what Mitch Marner has done and what Austin Matthews has done, um, just taking a look at uh, Mitch Marner's stats here. His average time on ice per game since the start of 2016-17, same time as Austin, Ma Austin Matthews' rookie season. So his average ice time is a bit lower than Matthews. Not even in the top 100 NHL forwards. Despite that, he's 22nd in total points over the last two-plus seasons amongst all skaters. Posted 60-plus points in his first two years. Two goals shy of equaling his career high set last year, which is 22. 65 points in his first 53 games this year. Just five more points of setting a new career high in that category. Uh, 50 shots on goal away from setting a new career high for shots in a season. Uh, 26 in power play points in the last two plus years out of NHL skaters. Top 20 even strength assists and top 20 in power play assists. 205 takeaways, ranking him fourth in the NHL. And when you look at the combined penalty minutes for Austin and Mitch, Austin has just 28 penalty minutes. Mitch Marner has 84 penalty minutes in his career. So the fact that both of these guys are equally talented but are equally disciplined is so key. And it's extremely tough for me to step on the podium and say Mitch Marner isn't worth at least $9 million per year. And I think you definitely could make the case that he could get the same amount as Austin Matthews. And if that's the case, not only do you have two players signed to contracts that are eight figures every year, you could have three. Yep. It, and, and we've seen teams like the Ducks, teams like the Oilers, teams like the Blackhawks having to deal with players at longer term contracts paying like eight, nine, ten million per year each. And that's tough to work around. Imagine working around three guys getting at least a combined 30 million per year for the foreseeable future. That is going to be immensely difficult for Kyle Dubitz to juggle. So yep. I think the emphasis of drafting and developing your players is even more prevalent after this year if you're Toronto. Yeah, I kind of wonder, I mean, I guess this is a question, a discussion to have in like August and July, but um, yeah. But I wonder if a team is like, I feel like if, if because obviously offer sheets aren't really a thing anymore, but if there is going to be a team that's going to offer sheet like someone, it's going to be the Leafs, especially now that Marner is having like, is one of like arguably a top 10 player. Um, mm -hmm. Then you have Kapanen who's, um, who's had his moments in the league and so has Andreas Janssen as well and they're all going to be rfa so if like i i can understand and, now, and, and, and the key thing is now we know yeah what matthews is getting paid 
Right. And what Mitch Marner could be worth. And I can understand, like, uh, if you're going to offer sheet someone like Marner, like, let's say, to $10 million, like... So the the worst thing that's going to happen is is you're going to give up four draft first round draft picks mm-hmm. to the Leafs. Um so I don't think he's worth that much. But let's say the Leafs do match Marner, uh then they're screwed. Um so so you you can put them easily into uh, cap hell just by doing that. Um and then also like uh, but I could also totally see some uh, some team like paying, like you know maybe overpaying a little bit to get Kapanen or Janssen off their shoulders, yeah. and and then the Leafs will be like, all right, actually that kind of helps us if if we let him go, um, mm-hmm. but um, but I could see like I feel like someone like there's gonna be an offer sheet for one of those three guys um, in the off season. Um, and uh, the, the word is that teams have already started getting offer sheets ready for Mitch Marner yeah. if he reaches July 1st. But um, Kyle Dubas has made it clear that they're willing to negotiate with Marner's camp right now if yeah. they want to change their mind. But the decision to wait until the off season is entirely on Mitch Marner's camp. It's not on Kyle Dubas. No, that makes if sense. If Kyle Dubas has his way, Mitch Marner is probably signed tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations where it makes sense from Marner's camp to wait because it's like you want to make sure, um, you know, because you could like he could easily get like ninety points this year, so he could raise his value a ton. But at the same time, he can. Um, like it, it makes sense that the Leafs are like, all right, we we don't want that to happen, so let's uh, let's sign you uh, before we we let it get too far. But uh, yeah, it you know it's interesting because Kyle Dubas has been a very good GM in terms of like you know he got John Tavares onto the team, um, you know he got Jake Muzzin, um, and now and now this with Matthews, but now it's like. And he re-signed Nylander too. And he re-signed He's one signing away from keeping his promise. Exactly. He said we can and we will sign these guys. But and he's he's one contract away. And, and the on thing, top of that, the thing though with that though is that because he did all that stuff beforehand, like what what he does with Marner, like that's gonna affect his, you know, like that's gonna affect the future. It's maybe it's not necessarily a good thing that you're you're locking up all four of these guys um, necessarily uh, long term, just because you don't necessarily know. Um, just like all the other teams that I mentioned, like the Oilers, the the Flyers, the uh, Kings, the Ducks, they're all like in cap hell, and they don't really have a ton of. Um, and that's all to do with the term and locking up the core, but then they, the Leafs may be in cap hell for a couple of years afterwards. Um, so that's going to be the issue is like, this is going to be the most vital part of Dubas's job now is what's he going to do with Marner? Um, yeah, the, the interesting part with the, the Marner stuff you were talking about, uh, the comments made by Marner's agent and uh, Marner's dad, I believe his name is Paul. Yep. And um, it's possible. <laughs> there, there was, uh, there was uh, a couple up of stories being written on that throughout the course of the week. What wasn't made known right away 
was that those comments were basically reiterated from the summer. Right. And apparently things have changed since then where both sides are close to being on the same page. Both sides are optimistic. Uh, Mitch Marner's agent even says Mitch will be elite for a long time. Right. Mike Babcock believes the same thing. So the good news is things are progressing the right way when it comes to Mitch Marner. And I think the team that no one's talking about here is Tampa Bay. And I mentioned this uh, in our off-air conversation that when Tampa Bay inked Nikita Kucherov to an AAV of $9.5 million this past offseason, I suggested to my good friend Colin Teske, you've heard on the podcast before. Yep. I asked him, do you think this is a bargain signing for Tampa and Nikita Kucherov? By the way, before went, you before you say uh, Nikita Kucherov signed to an eight-year deal, $9.5 million. Yeah. To, to refresh everyone's memory, this was this past offseason when he yep. did that. So um, I asked him, is this a bargain signing? And he wasn't totally on board. I was looking at his stats since uh, Austin and Mitch first uh, started their rookie year in 2016-17. So since the start of that season, Nikita Kucherov leads the NHL in power play points, sits fourth in goals and power play goals, second in points, 13th in shots on goal, and 22nd in takeaways, just to name a few stats. Yep. Almost each and every night his team is playing, he's probably going to be a top five player in the league. Yep. So the money that Tampa Bay could have been potentially paying him if it was this offseason, they could spend that on guys like Braden Point. They could spend it on guys like Andre Vasilevsky. Yep. And guys like Mikhail Sergachev moving forward. And this is a team in Toronto's division that didn't sign anybody, but in a way I'm kind of wondering are they the real winners here because of all the money they didn't spend yeah I well I mean Breeden Point's going to be paid this this offseason mm-hmm. um but yeah no you do have a good point in terms of like getting this out of the way right now is probably the the best way to go about it um but yeah no that t- takes us to our next point is is like what will this do to the effect of uh what will this Matthews contract do affect the UFA and RFA market this summer? I was actually looking at, there's a lot of good RFAs uh, available um, this year. I, we mentioned Marner, uh, Braden Point as well, Miko Rantanen. Um, there's a couple of other ones, but those are like the, the big three. Yeah, there's also guys like Matt Kachuk, Patrick yeah. Line, Sebastian Ajo. Right. Charlie McAvoy, I know he's he's like yeah, a Zach, level Zach below Sakwarinski. Yeah. yeah, so so there's like a lot of RFAs that um, this will all affect. It's kind of absurd how many are like good RFAs there are out right now. Um, but yeah, on top of a very good list of UFAs, I don't exactly. think I've seen either a stronger list in the same year. It's true, yeah. But, like, especially the this RFA list is, like, these are all, like, top-level guys, like, top 50 yeah. players. So, um, so I do kind of... I am curious as to how this Matthew signing will affect the rest of the... Like, all these RFAs, specifically. Like, will more players of, like, Matthew's type get like will they try to opt for five years or try to get five years so that they can or at least reach their first year that they can be ufas so when they turn 27 or are are some of them gonna or are teams 
and players going to try to get eight years. And I guess it just varies on the different situations. Um, but I think like this will impact um, each player, mostly on term, not necessarily on value, because I feel like most like Point and Rantanen will probably get the most out of all the guys we just mentioned. And Line A, maybe, although Line A is struggling this season, so that's probably going to hurt his value. But um, and Marner, I guess, is another one. But those are all going to be like, you know, eight to nine to ten million pl- uh, per year for value. But I'm going to be curious about the years. Um, if more players are going to like opt for less years but more money or less, slightly less money in more years. Yeah, that's interesting, uh, as well as how the contract is structured when it comes to signing bonus money. Because if you look at the Matthews contract, 93% of it is signing bonus money. Like, his base salary yeah. doesn't even go above 900k at right. all in any of these five years. Um, I, I definitely think the term is going to be interesting. Um, I, I think, also, if guys like... If guys like Kyle Connor, if guys like Kyle Connor's Patrick Line get even like six or seven million per year, I think this is going to raise the value of every single player. Because back when Kovalchuk inked his massive deal with the Devils once upon a time, that was a very rare case where you didn't see players get an AAV of close to ten million per year. Right. Um, now, in fairness, that was one of the last extensions in NHL history that went over ten years. Because in the next CBA. They put a max deal seven years for UFAs, eight years if you re-signed your own guy. But if there's a player that's worth $100 million on his next deal total, he's going to get that money if the team thinks he's worth it. Yep. So as a result, nine players are going to be making at least $10 million next year. Guys like Brandon, guys like Point, guys like Marner, they could all uh, join that list and push that number well past 10. Yep. And until the McDavid deal... I think it was a really significant milestone to get that type of AAV over 10 million because his case was unprecedented. He's one of the best players to ever yep. play this game. He's not even complete his fourth NHL season. True. But guys like Matthews, guys like Doughty, guys like Eichel, guys like Tavares, they've all signed AAVs over 10 million within the last two years. Yep. So we're seeing more and more of those eight figure AAVs now. It's becoming more common in this league. Yep. So you got to wonder. What does that mean for guys like Artemi Panarin? What does it mean for Bobrovsky? What does it mean for the two senators, Matt Duchesne, Eric Stone? What does it mean for the former Ottawa senator, Eric Carlson? It means they're all probably going to cost more this summer. And the average player like Ryan Dezingle, that's making good money for himself, that's having a good year, I think guys like him are going to see their value go up as well. Yep, for sure. Um, I mean, I feel like we're just stating the obvious, but yeah. Um, I do, I do want to point out the, like, it is interesting because I, I think some, I forget who, but someone mentioned that it's like absurd that like Crosby is making 8.7 million now and Ovechkin's making 9.5 million when like, if they were to do what Matthews did and like sign a five-year contract, because the reason why it's so, because it was high at the time when they signed it. Um, but um, but like, you know, like if they signed like a five-year deal, um, when they could, and that they would be making so much more right now. Um, so it, it is a smart way to do it, um, in terms of like, you know, you can make more out of your own potential by having a second contract. Um, cause you're already making a ton on your first contract as well. So 
Um, so I, I, uh, so it is very smart by Matthews. I, I'm impressed by that. Um, so we'll, we'll see if it's worth it. I guess it will be worth it if, um, I'm not sure if Matthews will be a leaf after five years, but I think that's just something that we'll, we'll see, um, in those five years, we'll see how the, those go, um, and all that stuff. Um, let's go to the top three, bottom three. Um, so you're going to start the top three first. Okay. So my, <clears throat> my top three is going to look a bit different than it has in previous weeks. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, teams on hot streak. So the Flyers are my top team this week. Winners of nine of their last 10 climbing out of the grave bit by bit. Uh, Carter Hart remains a stud uh, of Philly's five goaltenders with at least a hundred minutes played this year. Found this uh, from, uh, the points twitter account you can follow them at the point hockey tremendous stuff they put out there he ranks first in average shots against per game amongst flyers goalies uh with at least 100 minutes played 31.5 uh shots on goal per game for carter hart um shots against per game i should say uh the other team averages 12.9 shots from the slot which puts him second uh also faced an average of 5.3 shots from the near slot for a contest the only goalies uh, that have had it worse are Anthony Stolarz and Brian Elliott. And yet Carter Hart owns the best overall save percentage at 925, the best save percentage in the slot at 836, and the best save percentage from the air slot at 824. So Sean Couturier scoring in four straight games definitely helps, but when you're still facing like anywhere from 30 to 40 shots a game, you have to stop them, and Carter Hart has answered the bell. It all starts with him. Yep. He's the reason why the Flyers are doing so well right now. Sure. Uh, speaking of teams that are doing that are doing so well because of their goaltending and defense, mostly goaltending, uh, the Habs have found their groove as well. Carey Price and Shea Weber have been playing well this year. Uh, Jonathan Druin has stepped it up lately, and even though they lost that game to Toronto, it was an overtime. And that puts them for a short time in a third place seating in the Atlantic ahead of Brett's Bruins. Yep. Uh, so um, good on Montreal. I did not expect them to be this good this year. Yeah. Uh, given how bad last year They've was. They've looked good as a little bit. We're wrong about them. Yeah. Um, and my third highest team is uh, St. Louis, who, um, who have also proven me wrong a little <laughs> bit. Uh, they edged Nashville on Saturday to improve to 7-2-1 and in their past 10 into a wild card spot as well and uh, that win by jordan bennington also gave them five straight wins overall uh, honorable mention i'm gonna go with the blackhawks winners of six straight heading into sunday's action four points out of a wild card spot despite everything they've been through uh we'll talk about them more in depth momentarily but sure. uh, things might be turning around for chicago yep maybe um the yeah i have a similar list to you I did. Tr I was thinking of doing like um, like a streaks like you did, but um, I I had a tough time leaving Tampa Bay out of it. Yeah. So um, they've they like it's it's just crazy that they've only lost eleven games. I know they just lost to St. Louis and they lost to Vegas, but those were both an overtime and a shootout. So um, it's tough to mark them for that. Also, Jordan they, Bennington's they also like have a forty wins, yeah, which is crazy. Also, Jordan Bennington's like Winnington is the like the hottest goalie of of all time. All of a sudden, so yeah, I, I mean Carter yeah. Hart, but yeah, 
<laughs> well, no, I mean, Bennington shut out the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, oh, which yeah, is true. impressive. So, um, so that's, uh, so it's hard for me to like, to knock them down. Um, until they lose like 20 games, I'm going to continue to put them on first. Um, the, um, and then they also beat the Penguins last night too. Although Matt Murray wasn't playing, but still it's, it's impressive that they came back. Um, yeah. cause they could just as easily slide. Um, speaking of streaks, I have San Jose. They've won five straight. Um, I also want to shout out, uh, Thomas Hurdle. Um, he had, uh, he has four multi-point games in, uh, in ten, in five, in his last five games, 10 points, including a, uh, hat trick. He had two goals the other day too, as well. So, um, he's like really getting going. Um, kind of one of the more underrated players in the league. I feel like, um, no one really talks about him, but like, he's low key, one of their best players, um, 51 points in 51 games. Um, and 25 goals right now. So he's their second best uh, scorer um, in uh, uh, for the Sharks. Brent Burns is the first. I feel I feel like when you have a lot of talent and Brett Burns and Eric Carlson yeah. and like even Joe Pavelski and Logan yeah. Couture and, and Evander Kane, like guys like uh, Thomas Hurdle and Timo Meyer don't nearly get the or Kevin LeBlanc. Maybe yeah. they already and should deserve. But. True. Yeah. I mean, like on a team like the Sharks. Hurdle is a like um is like a depth guy, but at the same time, like he would be a star player on any other team. So, yeah, kind of like a lot of the Maple Leafs now yeah. named John Tavares. Or like <laughs> Braden Point, you could make the same case for Braden Point. Yeah, yeah so, true. Yeah, Braden um, guy. But yeah, so uh, so kudos to him. I just wanted to shout out Thomas Hurdle because he doesn't get a ton of recognition. Um, St. Louis, um, for most of the reasons what you said, I also wanted to highlight the fact that um, Tarasenko is finally getting going. He has like, I think he has like eight points in the last five games. Um, I, I remember I had the, the Blues in the bottom three for the past couple times and it had mostly to do with the fact that I didn't think Jake Allen was the goaltender. Um, and it seems like they're leaning, relying more on Jordan Bennington, which is the right move. And also that uh, Tarasenko is not as good. Um, so uh, it looks like he's getting going. And if Tarasenko can get going and Ryan O'Reilly has been their best player all year. Um, also, Braden Shen has gotten into the mix as well. So like if you can get those guys like Pitarangelo... Pareko, all those guys going, then they're going to be a scary, like this is going to be like the team we envisioned at the start of the year. It's just they're surging right now. Um, it took a while for them to get going, but um, it seems like right now they're they're actually getting going. It's just now Jordan Bennington has been their guy. Um, speaking of Tarasenko, he just uh, scored another goal um, <laughs> against their plane right now. Um, yeah, we should we should reiterate that um, yep. Brett Bruins are also playing as we're recording this. It's Sunday afternoon yep, at 2.54 p.m. as I'm talking to you right now. Yep, they're so, about uh, to play. 
But hey, if we reference some games at some random reasons and you realize they've gone final, it's because uh, yep, we as always record this at a certain point of the day. No, but, it was uh, just funny. It's basically, uh, yeah. etched in stone. No, it's well. This time it was just funny because as soon as I started talking about the Blues, I get I get these notification phone notifications whenever <laughs> yeah, the a goal scored. So okay. like when I was talking about the Blues, and then I I see this like notification that Tarasenko just scored. I'm like, oh wow, okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll bring this up. Um. So yeah. So that's my third team. Philadelphia was gonna be an honorable mention. Um, for all those reasons that you mentioned with Carter Hart's unbelievable. Um, and Chicago won six straight, but still last in central. I picked St. Louis as the third spot, mostly just because I feel like St. Louis has the best. They're currently in the playoffs as we speak. Whereas like Chicago is a hot team. They've won six straight. Uh, but at the same time, they're, la they're still last in the central division. Um, so it's impressive, but I can't really say that they're going to make the playoffs. And then uh, Philadelphia um, has, um, they could make the playoffs still, but uh, they're not in the playoffs at this moment. Um, yeah, they still have a long way to go, yeah. Yep. Bottom three here. Um, so um, I hope I don't jinx them because Col I have Colorado as my third worst team. Um, they've lost six straight. Um, I think this has something to do with the fact that Varlamov and Grubauer aren't what we thought they were um, at the start of the season. Grubauer hasn't been the starter that we thought he could be, um, and Varlamov hasn't really taken over as well. So, um, so I think that like it's like the bad goaltending has finally caught up to them. Rantanen, McKinnon, and Landeskog can only help them so much, um, but. I, I I should knock on wood because they play my Bruins in a couple of minutes right now. So um, watch like the the Avalanche like beat the Bruins like six to one and prove me wrong. So um, which is very possible. Um, so well, yeah, I, I'm not counting them out. Going off on your Bruins yep. one time and it just kept getting worse and worse as we yep. were So um, so there is a chance that the blue. Oh yeah, I do remember that. That was a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was way back. Yeah. <laughs> where I kept on groaning whenever they scored. Um, the, uh, but yeah, no, the, the Colorado is one of those teams where I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make the playoffs, but at the moment they're not playing like a playoff team. Um, Edmonton is my second uh, worst team here. They did beat Minnesota, but they are three, five and two in their last 10 games, including a six game losing streak. Um, yeah, there's, it's kind of like all hope is lost. I guess they could still make, like, the the Western Conference is crazy because, like, the Oilers, the Ducks, um, the Blackhawks, the, like, the like a ton of teams could still realistically make the playoffs because, um, they're like, there's, uh, like, the Blues have 57 points, but the worst team is the Ducks in the Western Conference, and they only have 51 points. So that's like a six point difference between the, the last place in the wild card or the last wild card spot and the last place in the Western Conference, which is just nuts. But anyways, the Oilers are um, not looking great. Um, I just feel a little horrible about them right now. It's just they're, they're out there. What's, I, I, what's I, left I to be said? I um, when they were facing Chicago, I, I, I think it was John Shannon that tweeted it out 
that um, the Hawks had more goals in the third period at one point than the Oilers did shots. <laughs> wow. And um, Ken Hitchcock absolutely uh, went off um, uh, about his team uh, during the postgame presser after uh, Kevin LeBanc and the Sharks put up five against him on Saturday. So um, they still have a lot of issues to sort out. Yep, for sure. Uh, the Ducks are my worst team. Um, and we also have a bit of news afterwards. Uh, yeah. They have lost 19 of their last 21 games. We've talked a ton about them and their issues. Um, it looks like, uh, or not, it looks like what happened. Well, this just happened as we recorded. It was like two hours before we recorded. But uh, Randy Carlisle um, is fired. Um, and in comes their GM, Bob Murray. Um, I have mixed reactions to this, um, for like, is like Carlisle should have been fired like a month ago, maybe even a season ago, but the fact that, so that was the right move to fire him. But the fact that you're going to have your GM be the coach who also doesn't have any coaching experience. It's like, I remember, um, like Florida, like uh, they fired, like I think it was like Rowe, like fired the coach, oh, and then right. he became yeah, the yeah, GM, yeah, yeah. and then he was yeah, the coach Rowe and GM. Rowe fired Gallant, then he went behind the bench. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. And then, um, so it's just like, I I guess so. It's just strange that this guy Car- Murray has no coaching experience, and yet he's going to be the coach for the time being. Um, especially when you have like a guy like Dallas Eakins in uh, San Diego, who's uh, coaching the like the AHL team very well, like like they're one of the best teams in the AHL right now. So it's just strange to have Bob Murray be the coach. I guess this is just showing that they're they're gonna tank this year um, and not really try. Um, and um, and then Bob Murray can kind of see what the team chemistry is like and what players should he keep long term and what teams, what players he should keep, you know, get rid of. Um, it's still very strange to have like the guy that could fire you or trade you away if you <laughs> if you're angry with him um, as a coach. So um i'm not sure what i feel about it but i guess it could work um i guess it's just a show of hey we're gonna be rebuilding and we're gonna try to fix the issues um to make them better but it's just a strange thing to have a guy who hasn't even coached at all be the interim coach yeah uh once again we're thinking on the same wavelength yep. here um before before i go any further um i agree with you colorado my third worst team um the one change is actually put Ottawa on this list instead of Edmonton. They had lost okay. five straight before uh, beating uh, the Ducks, uh, who have lost seven straight. And it's just the way they have lost seven straight. Like, they give up six goals against in a single period at the hands of the Jets. Yep. They give up six goals and lost to Toronto to start this week. They followed that up with four goals allowed versus Montreal and Ottawa only to lose both games to get shut out by the Sens. Yep. And then on Saturday against Philly, four goals in a single period. Yeah, when so, you when you get shut out by the Sens, you know things are... <laughs> yeah, and you get 45 shots and you yeah. still don't get any goals. Right. Like, 37-8, to eight, they've been outscored during this seven-game slide, surrendered five or more goals in four of those seven games, one goal or less uh, scored in five of those seven 
Um, I even put in my notes, I might as well put Carlo getting fired as the main topic for next week because they they had no choice. Like, Bob Murray was so loyal to Randy Carlisle. He gave him every single opportunity, but it just wasn't there. The team yep. just wasn't responding. Uh, I don't know if it's, if it's something to do with the team. I, I think it does because um, just they were able to battle through injuries and John Gibson was was just so heroic and stoic in goal. Uh, but now Brian Miller, there's not much flexibility behind John Gibson. If he gets hurt, Ryan Miller's been hurt for the past several weeks. We don't know when he's going to be back and they get Corey Perry back, but they get Eves back on the IR just about as soon as he comes back. They get Kessler back and, you know, they lose guys like Kasha for the season. It's just a revolving door of injuries and scoring slumps and just ultimately age catching up with them. And when you don't have John Gibson to bail you out, when John Gibson looks human and even he can't stop the bleeding yep, and it just keeps getting worse and worse, you got to do something. And Randy Carlisle, I'm sure is a great man and is a great coach, but that th- it was time that they, they had to do something. And I think this is the only reason why Bob Murray is behind the bench. Like the, the way their minor league team is doing the San Diego goals. You don't want to ruin their progress by bringing up Dallas Aikens. Just I guess that's a fair point. Pro- keep, keep the process going. You know, if you get a shot at uh, Jack Hughes for a top 10 pick, why not? He's probably a guy that you need anyways uh, to kind of bring in some youth, bring some new vitality to this team. And like, they might be still within striking distance, but even if they get in the playoffs, like, are we going to see the same kind of thing next year because Probably. of how this team is aged? I, I, I just think as strange as a move it is, as it is for Bob Murray to step in behind the bench, I think for the sake of perspective, Bob Murray needs some perspective as to who to keep and who might be out the door. Yeah. And I think the best perspective is to be behind the bench and see it for himself. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. If they're going to, like, rebuild, like, it doesn't make sense to bring up Dallas Eakins now. He may, he'll probably be the front runner to be the coach next year. But, um, but yeah, it makes sense to keep with San Diego because the, San- the goals are actually a good team right now. So, um, it kind of, I guess it kind of makes sense from that regard, but still, I don't know. It's, it's just a weird move, I guess. Um, we don't have a ton of time left cause we were, it's, we're an hour in, uh, but we'll do the, we'll do the rapid fire now. Uh, Patrick Kane has a 14 game point streak. Uh, the Blackhawks play, they're all, they're kind of on a tear right now. Um, they are playing today. They're playing the, um, the Detroit Red Wings, um, um, pretty soon. Um, but, uh, so Patrick Kane will probably get a point. Um, I would imagine. Um, but, uh, they are also on a six game. The Blackhawks on a whole are, have a six game winning streak. Um, Dylan Strom has been phenomenal. He has like 28 points in his last, uh, in his 31 games that he's been on with the Blackhawks. Um, so as to bring cat, uh, he's been phenomenal as well. He's been their like second best player. Jonathan Taze has had a bounce back as well. 
Um, sorry, uh, Dylan Strom has 27 points in 31 games. Um, and then we have uh, Phil uh, Gustafson. I think it's Eric Gustafson. Um, it's Eric Gustafson. Gustafson. Philip Gustafson, you're probably thinking of uh, the Sens prospect that will hopefully be their goalie. Oh, that's future, right. That's right. I, no, I was thinking no, of it's, That's a different Gustafson. Okay. This is Eric Gustafson. Eric Gustafson. Um, it seems like he's become like he's taken a hold of what Duncan Keith used to be doing. Um, and um, he's it's, it's clearly has shown. Also, of course, Colin Delia um, has taken over from uh, Corey Crawford and um, uh, since Crawford's been injured. But it looks like Crawford might be back pretty soon. He, he skated on Saturday. Um, I don't know when he's going to come back officially, but um, there's that. Um, yeah, I. so I remember we were talking about this off-air. We can do this a little bit quickly, but um, this kind of like you were you kind of mentioned on earlier episodes about wanting like thinking it made sense to trade Patrick Kane if the Blackhawks don't get Jack Hughes um and you said that you took it back I um off air on when I, we were I'm, I'm a bit hesitant for sure I'm a bit hesitant for sure given what I've yeah. seen but at the but my point was was more that like this team like sure this this team is not going to make the playoffs. Um, I'm pretty sure. Even if they win the rest of their games, they're not like they have so many teams to beat, um, especially in the Central Division. They're not making the playoffs. So um, I feel like Patrick Kane, um, at his worst, is going to be like a 60 point player, um, which is obviously still very good. So it's. Um, so I think that's someone that you want on your team. And in the future, especially when you have guys like Dylan Strome, Alex Debrincat, uh, Gustafson now, Joe Yaru, who's had his moments, you know, like, and then the future, like the high draft pick you're going to get this year, you're going to need a guy like Patrick Kane to help these uh, players develop. Um, so I don't think it makes sense to trade him unless like, let's say the Sabres trade like a boatload of prospects to Patrick Kane. Then yeah, of course you do it. But like, I, I don't think it makes sense to, uh, to trade him, um, this year, I guess you're backtracking. <laughs> yeah. Or just like, uh, ask for Jack Eichel and give Patrick yeah. Kane. <laughs> True. That'd be a ridiculous one for one. That would be, uh, yeah. But yeah. Like, like we like we said, Patrick Kane's a very talented player, and just what he's done over the 13-game point streak uh, is incredible. Like, the first 10 games of his streak, he had 9 goals, 16 assists, 43 shots, 71 shot attempts, and a plus-six rating. Uh, he recorded at least one point in 17 of, eight games, uh, 17 of 18 games to that point, and during those 18 tilts, he recorded 18 goals and 22 assists. That's 40 points. Wow. Um, taking a look at um, more incredible stats, seven of his first 10 games during his 13-game uh, point streak, he posted multiple points. Um, he has 11 career games with at least four points, uh, three of which uh, came in a stretch of five games this year. Um, he has as many three-point games this year as he does pointless games, which is nine. 
Um, uh, taking a look, there's there's another mammoth one. Uh, Patrick Kane has hit the 30 goal mark for the fourth time in his career. Three of those have come in the past four seasons. The dude is 30. Yep. And he's playing some of his best hockey of his career. Like, he had 76 points in 82 games last year, 27 goals. Already has 30 and counting this year. 79 points and counting, 54 games in. He's already surpassed last year's totals. Yep. Same thing with goals and power play points. Uh, probably going to do the same in shots on goal this year if he hasn't already. And just looking at how his point streak has affected the rest of the lineup is in particular in particular what's getting me thinking okay maybe now's not the time to trade patrick kane <laughs> uh, because when, when you look at the hawks as a whole their power play struggled at the start of this year and yet during this 13 game point streak for patrick kane which has seen the hawks go seven three and three during that stretch their power play has gone 1842 over 40 percent they couldn't get anything at the start of this year on the power play and they're over 40 percent during his 13 game point streak they have the seventh lowest power play time in the league during that same stretch of 13 games and they're 18 for 42 with the extra man they've also been pretty disciplined uh they also have been very good at not turning the puck over but they're the sixth highest scoring team in the NHL since yeah. Patrick Kane flipped the switch and just went full beast mode on us. Yeah. Um, but but like you said, just the emergence of guys like Alex Dabrinkit, the emergence of guys like Dylan Strome, the emergence of guys like Eric Gustafson, who has gotten more power play time and has uh, got double digits and power play points. When you actually put those guys into meaningful roles, into top six roles, yep. and when you put Strome with Dabrinkit, um, a pair of OHLers that played on the same team, played on the same line for a couple of years, yep. that already have chemistry. Uh, when when you add all those things, and when you add um, a bounce back season for Jonathan Taves, um, the Chicago Blackhawks aren't that bad of a team. Yep. But it's just a couple of years down the road. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of what I've been be? saying all along. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't think they're in a position I, I'm going to backtrack a little bit when I said about Patrick Kane I don't think now would be the time to trade him Yep. given what I have seen from guys like Strom and Debrinkit and Gustafson but I I look at their goaltending even though their goaltending is getting results both Colin Delia and Cam Ward during yep. this losing skit have posted GAAs over three Yeah, they've there been are still good weaknesses that are going to be exposed in this Hawks roster, if their power play drives up especially, their penalty kill is not even at 75% during this 13-game point streak by Patrick Kane as well. Yep. So I definitely think in a couple of years they might have to face that harsh decision uh, whether or not to trade Patrick Kane. But I don't think it's going to happen as soon as I originally thought. So on that, I'm backtracking. But I just think down the road that maybe trading Patrick Kane is going to be the best thing for the Hawks. Maybe not yet, but I think in a couple of years it might be more realistic. Yep, that's that's fair. Um, injuries here. Uh, Mika Koivu is out for the season. He had a knee, uh, knee-on-knee collision. Um, 
But yeah, it seems it's unfortunate for Minnesota because they also don't have uh, Matt Dumba for the time being as well. So yeah, um, that's gotta hurt Minnesota's chances for the playoffs. Um, yeah, to, to, taking a look at the specifics of his injury, uh, he underwent surgery on Friday, uh, torn ACL and torn meniscus yep. as a result of that knee on knee. And uh, just from an offensive standpoint, it doesn't hurt that much. But uh, Bruce Boudreau, uh, the head coach in the Minnesota Wild, loves his character, loves his yep. willingness to go to battle every single night. It's that character presence that leadership that Miko Koivu brings that's sorely going to be missed in that locker room and uh, not having him on the ice. Um, it, it's going to be tough for Minnesota to digest again, on top of the Matt Dumba injury. Yep. Uh, then it's now it's the uh, annual uh, Malkin injury. Uh, he, uh, he injured his, uh, uh, it's an upper body injury. Uh, it's, he's day to day at the moment, so he could be back any second now, I guess. But, um, he, uh, he didn't return all week. Um, yeah. It, it does concern me though, cause he skated with the pens on Friday, but he was wearing a non-contact jersey. So immediately I'm thinking, is it concussion? Yep. Because when Possible. it's upper body and it's not contact injury, immediately I think concussion. But yep. Uh, uh, they, there was also um, a bit of news about Matt Murray to pass along. Uh, sure. He was also day to day with an upper body issue that was not concussion related. He was seen backing up Casey DeSmith on Saturday, so he should be back soon. But uh, Malik has, uh, Malkin has missed uh, five straight games already for the Penguins. Uh, might miss a six. We'll see. But. Um, certainly, Penguins fans are hoping that at some point this week he'll return. Yep. But it seems that Matt Murray is closer to returning than uh, Malkin is right now. Speaking of annual injuries, uh, John Gibson is also uh, injured. He has an upper body injury. Um, stay the day. It's unclear how serious it is. Um, but at this point, it seems like it, since the Ducks seem to be giving up, maybe it makes sense to just. Uh, um, leave him out for the year or something like that, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, uh, taking a look at, and it was against the sense, so I know precisely what happened. Basically, it was on the 2 nothing goal by Matt Duchesne, and uh, one of the Ducks' back checkers basically runs into Gibson, and um, he was shaken up, I guess, uh, made contact with his head. Wow. So um, hopefully it's not concussion-related, uh, but he hasn't appeared uh, since, and... Uh, in the games three pre in the three previous games to that he was pulled in all three so uh even before this injury uh, john gibson wasn't looking like himself and uh i i think they're definitely wise uh, to not rush him back um even though he's a key part of this team uh but you know he's a key part of this team and yet they're still getting shelled so yeah true yeah, tough, tough situation to be in if you're the Ducks. Yep. Um, Alex Edler has a concussion, and he will be sidelined for at least one week. Um, mm -hmm. So that's unfortunate for them. Um, yeah, that, that was a very scary injury. Uh, I don't know if you yep. saw him being stretchered off. Uh, it was it was a freak yeah, accident. It, yeah. uh, his, his face hit the ice hard. Didn't suffer any facial fractures, thank God. Uh, but he's going to be out for at least a week with the concussion. Yep. Um, and uh, Travis Green, uh, the Canucks coach, said Alex Edler is not one to go down very easily. So when people saw that he wasn't moving on the bench immediately, there was concern. So uh, we wish Alex the best, and hopefully he comes back soon. Yep. 
Um, and then I think is that it? Um, no, we have, we oh have yeah, we have one more update. killer all update. Uh, I have yeah. So according to John Hines, Taylor Hall. As of now, we are planning on him coming back and playing. Hines said Friday he's on a progression plan to play, and we're anticipating that. Right now, there's no plans of him not playing this year. So that's kind of a double negative right there. So I guess there are plans of him playing this year, uh, but um, but he's just not publicly saying it. Um, I guess it kind of makes sense to like keep because it's not like the Devils are. Uh, playing well enough that they need their best player out there so maybe they should just like keep him out for the rest of the season even if he is healthy um, but um, I don't know it could be a interesting thing I'm sure Taylor Hall wants to be playing so maybe that would hurt uh, his chances with signing him long term um, if he does do that so I don't know yeah, I, I don't think his chances of getting signed long-term will be affected by this injury at all. Like, everyone knows that when he's on the ice, he's probably the most important part of the Devils' yep. offense. If they think he's worth, like, eight, nine, ten million per year, they'll give it to him. True, true. Um, but, yeah, I guess... Uh, but it is something that the the Devils should start think, thinking about as they're yeah. probably not going to be making the playoffs um, Next year is Hall's contract year, so okay. that'll be a big year for him. So I think jeopardizing that year by making him play this year is probably the worst thing that the Devils could do. Worst yep. thing that Taylor Hall could do, frankly. Um, the Predators make a couple of moves here. Uh, they get Brian Boyle from the Devils, speaking of the Devils, yeah. for a yeah, 29... Nice yeah, from the 29... Uh, so they get Brian Boyle uh, for, and the Devils get a 2019 second round pick. Um, a second round pick seems kind of high for a guy like Brian Boyle. Not to say that yep. Brian Boyle isn't a bad player at all, but it does seem a little bit too high, maybe. But um, he is a good uh, clubhouse guy, as I hear, and he can be a, a decent depth forward for them. So um, maybe it will work out for them. But um, it seemed a little high for a second round pick. I'm sure it, it raises all the other... you rentals um out there like oh if Boyle's getting a second round pick i remember you said that like dezingle's probably gonna get gonna garner more if yeah i would Boyle, i would say yeah. if, if you're gonna give a second round pick to the other team for a rental player that is probably not going to be with you next year because you have money just uh, uh signed to other players elsewhere yep shoot right into singles worth at least a first round pick easy yeah of course um I mean, that goes without saying, like, Panarin and Duchesne and Stone, they're all going to garner a first-round pick um, if they were to be traded. Uh, Cody McLeod was also, is also on the Predators, and the Rangers got a 2020 seventh-round pick. Um, but, yeah, I just thought that was noteworthy is there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's about it in that regard. Um I don't think we I, have. I don't think I don't think uh, this trade necessarily makes Nashville better. I think it just brings them back to where they were a couple of weeks ago because yep. there was the Austin Watson stuff. He suspended until further notice. Uh, Zach Ronaldo had season-ending surgery, so he's not back this year. Yep. So basically, getting uh, Cody McLeod for a seventh-round pick and Brian Boyle for a second basically just covers up their losses uh, from a couple of weeks ago. So if if 
I it would not surprise me if they're still out in the market for a big fish like uh, I don't know Panarin. Yeah, I think this was just to make up for the fact that they won't have Austin Watson, um, and it, they always need a fo- like a depth and forwards. That's always been their big issue. So, um, mm-hmm. so that may have something to do with it. True. Um, I'm conflicted because I we do we have time? I guess we do have some time. Uh, I just don't know how long it's going to take. But Sam Reinhart. Uh, he commented on how poorly the goaltending uh, was uh, for the Buffalo Sabres. He said, we can't expect to win hockey games 6-5, to 7-6. We need more from our goalies, and we need it from the start of hockey games. It's frustrating. Uh, then the next day, he backtracks. Um, he says, at first I was rattled thinking that something I said was kind of taken the wrong way. Then I watched it again and it came off the wrong way. So that's on me. That's not what I meant it at all. Uh, he said this per the Buffalo News. I think if you follow through the interview a little bit, and obviously I was frustrated, but I think if you follow around the inter- in the interview n- near the end, I'm saying we all need to come back and defend more. I was trying to say we need more for our goalies. It didn't take a hockey genius to know that it was have been our two best guys all year. Um, I actually did some math here, and I found that since the Sabres' 10-game winning streak, um, which was in, like, November, uh, Buffalo is 9-14-5. and five. Um, So there, so goaltending has been an issue, too, but it hasn't been the only issue. I kind of love when, like, uh, players kind of publicly bash their team, uh, just for some reason just from like a drama perspective but at the same time i can totally understand why he you don't want to be public with like bashing your goalies because you know you have to take responsibility as well so um so i guess it makes sense from that regard yeah so taking a look at why these comments were made um i i think like sam reinhardt said was out of frustration like this was following a seventh loss in 10 games they had surrendered 17 goals in the three games, in, in their last three games alone. Uh, in eight of those uh, 10 outings I mentioned, uh, seven of which were losses, they gave up four more goals. Um, and uh, I should mention they beat Detroit on Saturday, and uh, they play Winnipeg today when we're recording this. So it could actually be less bad, uh, but still below 500 since their 10 game winning streak, that's fair to say. And, and when you look at how tight the Atlantic is with uh, Boston and Montreal even leapfrogging Buffalo, like there's seven back of a Bruins team that sits fourth in the Atlantic at the at uh, the moment we're talking right now. Uh, the Bruins occupy one of the wildcard spots. The Pens and Hurricanes are both ahead of the Sabres by a few points as well. Uh, they needed results in this game against Carolina. Uh, and in the games before that, they're not coming. So... Um, there's a bit of frustration and I guess Sam Reinhardt just told us that we felt and yep. what I did like is how he addressed the comments immediately after they were made public he told both goalies the night before um, or the night of the comments that he said basically brace brace yourselves if you see the media decide to run with it the next day this is what I said I'm terribly sorry and um, the head coach Phil Housley also clarified something he had said from the previous night as well um, what I gather from this is that no matter if it's good or bad, everyone's being held accountable. 
Yep. Everyone's not turning it into a big deal. This is a good test of team character. And if they don't make the playoffs, it's performance-based. It's not because character failed them. Um, and when you look at uh, their 3-1 win over Detroit on Saturday, Olmark stopped 28 of 29 shots. Um, they scored early in the second, late in uh, the second as well. Uh, took a lead into the third. They were able to hang on to it. Um, they have a favorable week coming up, but after that, they get Tampa, Washington, Toronto, and Philly to wrap up February. Then they get uh, games against uh, Toronto and Pittsburgh to open up March. There's definitely a lot for them to do. They have a lot of work to do. They need to get down and dirty. They need results. But if you look at their winning streak, I will remind people that throughout the course of their winning streak, there were a lot of one-goal games that they've won. True. So it doesn't matter how you win. It doesn't matter if it's 6-5 or 5-4 to four, as long as you're getting results. And the Sabres haven't been getting results lately. If they continue to get the results, no one's going to be complaining. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, now we go to the Bruins-Sens segment. Uh, you're going first. Well, uh, the week didn't start off that bad for my sense. Uh, they were in Toronto taking on the Leafs on a Wednesday night. Uh, shots on goal were even at 11 after 20 minutes of play. The score was also even at 1. Uh, Duchesne puts Ottawa in front 2-1 to one early in the second. They have a lead. Neat. Uh, but, you know, it's Toronto and this the Sens we're talking about. So, of course... The Leafs score three times in four minutes, and they take a 4-2 lead heading into the final stanza. Sens are in phase, though. Shabbat gets his 11th. It's 4-3. Byarvi gets his second of the game. All of a sudden, tied up at four. Uh, Toronto ends up getting the win 5-4, but Ottawa shoots them 17-7 over those final 20 minutes. And in the entire game, they actually outshot the Leafs 44-30. Um, to be honest, it, it wasn't that bad of a game. Like, when you have... Uh, when you have uh, Jack Rodewald and Ben Harper being the only guys without a shot on goal in this game. Um, and that's against one of the best teams uh, in the entire conference, not just in your entire division with guys like Matthews, guys like Tavares, guys like Marner, uh, even Nylander who's picking it up. There are definitely some positives to take away from this game, um, but the results weren't coming. And when you're mired in a five-game slump, I guess, um you're inclined to take the moral victories, but as a sense fan, when there's just so much bad news, it, it kind of just gets to you after a bit. So um, I, I, I kind of had the feeling that they're starting to turn a corner and that the five-game streak would be no more. And uh, I figured Thursday against Anaheim, a team that's struggling even more than the Sens, I figured that would be the time to snap the streak. And that's exactly what happened. Ottawa blanks them for nothing. Anders Nilsson gets a start in this game. He makes 45 saves for the shutout. Uh, five Senators got multi-point games. Cody Ceci, Thomas Shabbat, Mark Stone, Matt Duchesne, and Chris Tierney. Uh, Duchesne and Stone combined for three goals on 11 shots. So uh, with all that progress being made, they go back to Anders Nilsson against the Jets, who start Brassois because they're playing a better Sabres team the following afternoon. So we'll figure it out. Sends are crap. We'll start Brassois. Should still be an easy win. Uh, but for a change, an afternoon tilt at home doesn't go horribly, horribly wrong for Ottawa. They actually are up 5-1 to one in the third period thanks to goals from Mark Stone, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, and Zach Smith. Mark Stone actually had two goals on six shots, so he had a banner night against his childhood team. Uh, Nelson Sharp again, 44 saves on 46 shots. Uh, the Jets ended up getting a, 
a goal late to trim the deficit to 5-2, but the Sens still won this game. Uh, and from the blue liners alone, Winnipeg had 21 shots. So uh, Nilsson certainly tested, but he was calm, cool, collected, composed, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he's providing stable backup goaltending, which is something the Sens have struggled with the entire year. And now they finally had it. Yeah. And uh, I don't think it's one of those things where you were talking about the before we went on the air, you know, is Craig Anderson the starter anymore? I still think he's the starter. I still think he's the guy. But I think they're going to start to give him more rest and give Nielsen more reps because I think Craig Anderson is at his best at this yeah. stage in his career when he's not overworked. And yeah, that's early, fair. Earlier in the season, he was overworked and it caught up with him. Yeah, and Anders Nilsson has looked pretty good. I, I, the only reason why I'm interested in it is not just because of it's you know I'm friends with you, but I, uh, I, I, I recently got him on my on the off of the waiver wire because I figured like why not let me let me see what happens. And they were facing the Ducks, and I was like, okay, whatever. Like, the Ducks aren't doing so well. That's uh, <laughs> it won't be too bad. And then he single-handedly won my week, so um, so that was great. But yeah, no, I, I'm starting to think about it now. I feel like Anders Nilsson could—he's not like that old either. He's only 28 years old. He could be the starter for the time being, maybe like for the next two years or something. But um, or I could just see like a tandem type situation with like Craig Anderson playing every now and then, um, and then Nilsson being there whenever but um it was cool, cool to see and especially like when he uh, was able to play well against the jets when the jets have like one of the best offenses if not the best offense in the league um it's just impressive that he was able to uh uh just like not play well against them uh keep them to two goals so um so i think there is something there um but we'll see I, I think again, this is the sense we're talking about. You know? <laughs> yeah, so. and and with the Canucks, he didn't do so hot this year. True, as well. Like he's he's had some rough moments in his career, but I think when he's good, he provides good stable goaltending as a backup. Yeah, when utilized properly. Of and course, this he's... is a team that has a lot of young goalies and yep. Philip Gustafson and Marcus Hogberg, a prospect named Joey Decord, also um, on the horizon. So. I think what they need is to buy their young boys time. And I think if Nilsson plays good solid goaltending at the very least, that's what he's going to do. Yeah. He's going to buy the young boys time. He's going to make it a bit easier for Craig Anderson. He's going to be a good team guy. And, and for the short term, at least I think he's uh, going to do some good for this team, but yeah, definitely of a huge win against Winnipeg, definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, the next step moving forward in this rebuild is getting guys like Thomas Shabbat in key defensive situations. And I found this on sports and it was very interesting. Uh, Guy Boucher said that Thomas Shabbat hasn't really been playing every single head-to-head matchup against the other team's top line. It's not happening uh, that regularly, but he feels that Thomas Shabbat is going to get there someday. So, um, and, and I think it was kind of the same way with Eric Carlson, where early on, you know, He's just getting his feet wet, getting the offensive side of the game going, and now it's just rounding him into that defensive player where you can put him in all situations. Yep. So um, hopefully uh, Shabbat gets there uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, next week, the Sens, or this week, I should say, 
they host Carolina Tuesday, visit Detroit Thursday, I believe, and then they actually face the Jets in Winnipeg um, this coming Saturday. So that'll be interesting. Um, because it's the Sens, there's, of course, news off the ice. Um, <laughs> because when isn't there? Of course. Uh, so. Mikhail Bodker is uh, on the IR. He's injured. Um, they traded Max McCormick to the Colorado Avalanche in a minor one-for-one -one swap. And uh, then we get this gem from Eugene Melnick. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess it's our bi-weekly Eugene Melnick update. Yeah. Uh, this time he promises he will spend to the NHL's cap from 2021 to 2025 when the team is competitive. And I guess maybe you should add an asterisk to it if they are competitive. <laughs> right, right. So uh, when you look at their cap number this year, according to the fine folks at Cap Friendly, thank you as always, guys, for the info. Yep. Uh, the Sens are currently spending $72,498,302, very specific there, uh, which is 91.2% of the league cap, which at the moment puts them 24th out of the 31 teams in the league behind Columbus and just barely ahead of the Philadelphia Flyers. Yep. Um, and I'm not going to delve too deep into this because I plan on coming back to this in a few weeks, depending on where the state of the team is as a whole. Because this week is going to be huge for them because in another bit of news, I believe Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet uh, is where I found this from. They are expected to let teams know at some point this week who might be oh, on I saw the block. That. And obviously the big fish out there are Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne. Yep. And the guys there are desperately trying to sign. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know what you think, Brett, but uh, I, I got some more material, but I want to stop and ask you. What do you think about this whole Eugene Melnick spending to the cap? Yeah, I was. Being fed? I was going to interrupt you if you were uh, going to uh, if you were going to go on, but yeah, no. I, the thing, the <laughs> Melnick's things. It's on one hand, it makes like it's kind of weird because it's like you know, like they should be rebuilding and they, but they don't have their first overall. They don't have their first round pick this year. So it's it's just strange for me to think that. Also, it's just weird to be like, we're gonna spend to our cap when our team is good, um, in a couple like in two years. Um, so having said that, like the biggest critique, uh, according to you, has always been is that he's cheap, and he doesn't really have a clear direction of where this team is going. So at least he has like a direction. And at least he's, he says to the public that he's going to spend to the max in two years. It's just, um, if that will happen, um, they do have a good core with like, or a good, good couple of players with Shabbat and Kachuk, and you can definitely build around those two players. Um, so it's just a matter of like, who else is going to be a part of their core in the next couple of years. But, um, you know, it is kind of strange to me to think of um, it being like a like oh we're we're gonna re be rebuilding, but we don't have our first round pick uh, this year. So um, it's that just could turn into you know, Jack Hughes on right, top right. Of all of that. So so it to me it makes even more sense to trade Duchesne. Um, I'm hesitant to trade Stone because I feel like he he's a he's gonna be a captain for you guys. But, um, but like one of those two players will definitely get a first round pick, and maybe even oh, yeah. Dzingel will get a first round pick. So, um, 
so I feel like if you can get like two first round picks, maybe you won't get the Colorado's draft picks again, but like you can kind of like shortchange it or whatever the phrase is and just get like a, a first round pick. Um, even one is fine, you know, just to save face. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I think it, it's funny that he says that he's going to trade, he's going to spend to the max in two years when we don't even know what the team's going to look like in two years, um, and let alone be competitive. But it's not like at least he has a direction and a promise that he's going to spend money. Um, so I do like that aspect of it. Yeah, and uh, Colorado has made it very clear they're not trading any of their first round picks. So, right. Yeah, definitely not getting a first. And round nor pick should they if they're not going to make if they might not make the playoffs. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> imagine if they get two top three picks. I know. I know. Like, what a they might. Off. It's possible. <laughs> it's very possible. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't want that nightmare to unfold before my eyes. Yeah, I, I hope I hope Ottawa trades with a lottery team, and that lottery team somehow gets the first overall pick, and we end up with Jack Hughes anyway. But yeah, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. Very far fetched. Um, so um, what what is your know, thoughts on it though? Because you, you're an actual fan. <laughs> I'm hoping for the best and preparing for the worst. That's been my theory this entire year. <laughs> okay. So, um, I I, I will um expand on my um insight further here i actually saw this um series of tweets from john rodenberg who works for tsn 12 iron the sports radio station here in ottawa he works for their morning show he's their program director uh, people call him jr for short and uh here's what he said last week about this whole situation i think matt duchene produces points and is a very good player that being said, it is time the Senators realized the trade to get him was a mistake and to cut their losses instead of doubling down with an eight-year extension. The Sen's so-called window to win is not in the next three or four years with all of Stone just chained to single and still Ryan commanding the majority of the dollar signs and their young cores still maturing. Instead, commit to a real rebuild, which will require, yes, more pain. Sign Mark Stone and make him your undisputed leader Commit Max Term and Dollar Signs your first chance to Shabbat this summer and Brady Kachuk next. They're your future. Properly develop Drake Batherson, Colin White, Josh Norris, Christian Malanen, Alex Formanton, Logan Brown, Max Lajoie, Jacob Bernard, Docker, and two 2020 first round picks. Allow the likes of Pajot and Tierney to be veteran mentors. Make good hockey trades for more young assets with Duchesne to single as, and CC as the players being tossed out. With a draft and develop model the ship can be turned around but this is going to take time and pain and a plan the time of patrick fixes is over imagine a new building at LeBreton in five to seven years and a core of 20 somethings playing slash winning there so that's what john rodenberg had to say about this whole situation now the problem is from what i've been hearing over the past couple of weeks is if matt duchene does not stay and he is traded stone might not be far behind him and if that happens, the Sens rebuild goes back even a few more years. Mark Stone, he is right. JR is right. Mark Stone is future captain material. Best 2A forward this team yep. has. Arguably one of the best in the NHL. He's the guy Ottawa cannot afford to lose at any point. Trade deadline, offseason, whatever. Uh, I also unfortunately agree with what JR says about Matt Duchesne, as much as I like Matt Duchesne. He's a great player, don't get me wrong. 
but he did not come here to be a part of the rebuild. And it sucks if Melnick is firm on $8 million per year, and that's what leads to him leaving. But Matt Duchesne came here to win, and yep. Ottawa's not going to win anytime soon. And I, I think I would love to see Matt Duchesne stay. Don't get me wrong. If we get Matt Duchesne back, that's great. Yep. But Mark Stone is the guy they cannot afford to lose. I definitely think the single is gone if both Stone and Duchesne stayed with Ottawa somehow. And I think maybe he's still gone because of how well he has played this year and the unknowns of him maybe playing to that level ever again. Um, he's probably going to be looking for huge dollars this offseason, as he should. Uh, I definitely agree that CC's days are numbered given that he got that $4.3 million AAV from his arbitrator. He's due for arbitration again this year. It's probably going to go up again because I don't think it's going to stay at $4.3 million. Um, and in, in my opinion, that's not a good use of cap space for the Sens moving forward. And when you look at the Jake Muzzin deal and, and the return that it got, CC could bring back a good Hall of Futures if traded wisely. So the worst thing for the Sens is if Mark Stone leaves town, if he leaves, I think Melnick might not get along well with NCC representatives because if you remember correctly, I believe February 28th is when the NCC will decide if the rendezvous LeBreton proposal is worth keeping around. Um, they're going through mediation, trying to sort some things out, um, trying to convince the NCC that they're still the group to go to. But they have until February 28th before the NCC makes their decision. They've already extended it by a month already. Um, and a few days before that date is going to be the trade deadline. And if guys like Mark Stone and guys like Matt Duchesne leave, the NCC is going to look at Melnick and just like, why would we do business with you yep. if there's not anyone worth keeping? Like, why should we give you a downtown arena when all the good guys are gone? So, um this is probably the most pivotal few weeks in Ottawa Senators history. And I think I speak for everyone that cheers for this team when I say this better end well. Yeah. Because if it doesn't end well, I don't like where this is going. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I could, yeah, I don't know. I think... DeShane is obviously a really good player. He's been their best player all year. Um, but I think it makes sense to just uh, trade him because he's um, he'll likely get a first-round pick, get a prospect for you guys um, as well. So um, he's worth that much, at least. Uh, let's go to the... Uh, my, 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 again, my fear is if that results to Mark Stone leaving, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't even want to think about that. I just yeah. I, I just feel hope Mark Stone signs his extension before Duchesne gets traded. I feel like Mark Stone. He seems like a good guy just from all the interviews I hear of him. I think he he'll probably stay, um, even if Duchesne leaves. Um, mm -hmm. Would be my guess. But, but you're and right. Then, and then I hear and then but, I hear that uh, Bob McKenzie talking on uh, the pregame show on TSN 1200 and he says my inkling is that both Duchesne uh, that, that both Duchesne combination of Duchesne and Stone Duchesne um, he says his inkling is that Duchesne and Stone will both get traded okay which again well, I don't want to think about but in, the, in that case though like 
you could get you'll get like two first rounders for both those guys you know True. <laughs> so True. um so and then you can go on to like a an actual full rebuild um that way but yeah no, i know it would probably hurt if, if you don't have mark stone either um yeah and it would probably hurt attendance as well yep but. for sure but I think you could sell them if it's like, well, Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat are the future kind of thing. But we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I think at that point they're the only guys you can sell. Right, right. But I, I think, I think with Mark Stone, there's hope that um, the rebuild won't take as long. But if he leaves, yeah, um, I don't even think uh, they'll even be ready to contend in uh, the 2021 target window that Melnick has put forward. But yep. We'll see. Let's go. Uh, the Bruins played the. Uh, they played three games. Oh, they're. They played four games, I guess. But we're not gonna well, count. Three, three and a bit at the time of yeah. recording because they're. Gonna, I, I think they're playing the Avalanche actually right now. Yeah, they are. In fact, it's one nothing, uh, Colorado. Um, at <laughs> the end of the first. Yeah. So you jinxed them already. Great. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um, but it's also. Halak has is starting, um, so oh, it's like okay. I'm not ex- even really expecting to win, but I already jinxed them. It's like I don't know, it's confusing. Anyways, uh, the Bruins uh, played the Islanders. Um, they won three one. Uh, this was Bergeron's a thousandth game, um, career game, uh, and he had two ge- goals in that game. Uh, Patrice Bergeron gets a goal uh, from Pasternak and Marchand um, in the second period. Um, and then uh, they tie uh, the Islanders tie things up with uh, Eberle getting a power play goal. Uh, Matthew Berzal and Brock Nelson get the assist there. Um, and then in the third period, uh, Peter Solarek uh, gets a goal. It was pretty nice there. Uh, from what I remember, it, was, it feels like a long time ago, um, even though it was a week ago. And then the probably the I don't know what the word is, but like the my heart melted uh, during the empty netter. The uh, Bruins had a or the Islanders had an empty netter. Uh, Marchand uh, sees Pasternak open um, with an empty net, so Marchand naturally passes to Pasternak. And then Pasternak looked behind him, and he sees Bergeron, and he drop passes it to get Ber- so Bergeron gets the empty net goal. There, it was a uh, it was a cool, touchy moment. It was kind of like, uh, hey, it's your thousandth game, um, and I owe a lot of my a lot of his career to it. Um, so it was just a uh, it had to be Pasternak and Marshawn who get the assist there. Um, and Bergeron, it was very, I was very like teary-eyed there. Um, it was a nice I, moment. I was, I was, I was about to ask, like, would yeah. it be appropriate? Because I've seen it all around Twitter sometimes. Yeah. Where, where, like, if there's like a touchy sports moment, they play like the Titanic song. My heart will go on in the yeah. background. Yeah. Was that worth it in this treatment too? I, it, it was, yeah, it was just close. Like, as he, I know. Specifically, as he's making the drop pass to Bergeron. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, how, how sweet of Pasternak to do that. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, so I was just like, oh, wow. It's like, it was very, it was very touching, uh, to me, uh, for that. Um, then the next day they played the, the Bruins played the Rangers. This was a frustrating game to watch. At least we got a point though, but, um, it started things off with, uh, Mika Zibanejad scoring in the first period. 
Um, and then the Bruins get uh, three unanswered or three unanswered goals in the second period. Danon Heinen, Pasternak, and Bergeron um, all get those goals. Um, Heinen's looked pretty good, by the way. Uh, he's kind of picked things up. Um, he had a goal there, and then I think he had a, a goal and an, an assist um, in the in the next game we're about to talk about. But um, he's looked pretty good. Um, Mostly because he's now, um, they split, I think they split things up where uh, Heinen's on Bergeron and Marchand's wing, um, and Pasternak's with Krejci and DeBrusque, I believe. So that has partly to do with it, but it was, it's, you know, Heinen had like 41 points last year. Um, he's not going to get that this year, but uh, it's good that he, has, he hasn't totally fallen off uh, from last year. Um, and uh, then in the third period, uh, Kevin Hayes um, gets an open wide goal um, in the third period. And uh, Philip Heedle, um, of course, uh, he all he had to do is just stay by the net and, and tap it in. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's a tie game. Um, and then we go into the shootout. It was like about, it felt like... Uh, a ton of rounds. Um, I think it was about seven rounds. Yeah, it was seven rounds. Yeah. Um, my biggest complaint, though, because um, you never know with shootouts. Shootouts are literally a shootout. It's like, you know, it's a mixed bag. It's really 50-50. But my only thing was is that, okay, you have Pasternak and Marshawn as your, as your top three guys. Fine. Right. But then you have Peter Solerik. Um, as your first shooter, like I, I can, I can totally understand, like not, not to take anything away from Solaric, but like you have Bergeron who I guess historically isn't good on, in the shootout, but you have Bergeron, you could have had, you could have had, um, DeBrusque, you could have had, um, Heinen even, you could have had like McAvoy, Krug, you could have had like we have so many scores. Corrali, we could have had those guys, and yet we have Soleric take our first shot. That is just ridiculous to I me. I remember, I remember but, last year uh, when the Sens were in Tampa. Krejci, yeah. And Guy Boucher sends out Tom Pied. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Yep. Of all the people that shoots first, Tom Pied is the guy yeah. you pick. What? Um, and then. So Charlie McAvoy, Jake DeBrusque, Heinen, and Krejci all ended up uh, shooting anyways. But it was just, uh, I was just like, why not like Bergeron? It's, just, it's crazy to me. But anyways, I don't, I'm not even sure if it mattered anyways, because I know, I think Bergeron isn't great in the shootouts anyways. But um, at least have like Tori Krug maybe, I don't know, uh, something like that. But um whatever um so at least we get a point but it was definitely a frustrating loss especially since we had a lead um a 3-1 lead um and speaking of 3-1 leads um or three goal leads uh the Bruins uh played the Kings on Saturday uh McAvoy gets things started by the way McAvoy has gotten heat uh a lot in the in the Boston media now 
uh, just because he hasn't been as good since he's come back from the injury. But he's looked pretty good of from what I've seen of him, um, especially in this LA game. He gets a goal. He had a couple of blocks and hits in in the game, so uh, so that was good to see. Um, he also had an assist. Um, but uh, so Charlie McAvoy gets a goal. Then Aya follow and Anze Kopitar get a, two goals um, in the second period. Um, and then in the third period was when things started to really get going. Uh, Heinen, Krejci, and Marshawn all scored. Um, Marshawn gets uh, uh, the uh, Patrice Bergeron gets an assist there um, as well. Um, and then, um, and then the same kind of thing happens, um, where the Kings start scoring. We let Nate Thompson, he's their second line center right now, and he gets a goal. Um, and then we get Oscar Fantenberg, uh, gets a goal too. It's just like the Bruins just stopped caring all of a sudden in the third period. Um, and then luckily, um, in overtime, Patrice Bergeron scores, um, his 20th goal, uh, by the way, Patrice Bergeron has 50 points in uh, 39 games, which is pretty good, I would say. Um, I think I think Patrice Bergeron is going to be a, a good player for us. I don't know. Um, something just tells me that. Um, anyways, uh, they had a, a joking aside. Um, Patrice Bergeron uh, had a ceremony uh, before this game. Um, I guess they wanted to make sure it was official, um, so uh, they gave him like a couple of paintings. Uh, Cam Neely gave him this like silver stick. Yeah, that that that, that was I pretty think cool. That's given to every player that plays a thousand. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, his family was there, um, and all that stuff. So it was it was pretty cool to see. It was and there there was like a tribute video. They somehow got Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Taze, uh, like pretty much I think like Kopitar they got like a lot of guys to speak on video about on congratulating Bergeron they got like Boychuk they got a lot of old ex-Bruins players to say congratulations to him so that was nice to see um and then Jeremy Jacobs had this nice message saying that like he was like a Bruin um at this point Bergeron's a hall of famer to me he will definitely get a uh uh, his number retired if if he's not in the Hall of Fame, but I will ride if he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, uh, I w I was going to make this a fun little game for you because I had he Bergeron became the fifth uh, Bruin to get to reach a thousand games um, in his in, in the Bruins jersey, but um, just by like asking who you thought were the other four were. But um, I think we're we're short on time, so I'll just say here. Um, I think you would be able to guess at least two of these guys. I would probably say Ray Bork and Cam Neely are on that list, right? Uh, Neely is not actually, but Bork oh, is. Really? Okay. okay, I figured Bork would definitely be there. Uh, actually, that is good. I think well, Bork uh, Bork's career was ended because of uh, a knee injury, so I don't think he was able to play that many games, but. Uh, so Bork has uh, by far the most. He has a hundred, a thousand five hundred and eighteen. Busick has a uh, Johnny Busick is our second guy. Uh, he has a uh, thousand four hundred and thirty-six. 
Don Sweeney, the current GM, who I thought you may have gotten, but you didn't. Um, he has a thousand five hundred, a thousand fifty-two games, and then Wayne Cashman, which I don't think I would have gotten if I didn't know. Yeah, I would. Um, he has a thousand twenty-seven, and now Bergeron, he has a thousand and I guess three. I had a thousand two, but since he's playing this game, um, so he's a thousand three. And then, interestingly enough, I found that Zdeno Chara has has played nine thirty games as a Bruins. Um, player which i thought is kind of interesting considering that most of his career he was on the ottawa senators and the islanders so um so he, if he plays another year charo will be um will probably make a thousand games as a bruins player um but i don't know it, it, maybe this will be his last year we'll see but um I thought that was an interesting statistic to share to you guys. Uh, What's also interesting that I found is that Crosby passed Lemieux for most games played as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Crosby hasn't played a thousand games. Like this was game like number 915, I think. Mario Lemieux didn't even play in a thousand games. Well, it must be. And you still look at his points and it's crazy. Well, didn't Lemieux's career end short because of injury, right? Well, he, he retired early, then he came back. You're right. But yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking all the things that Mario Lemieux did in the NHL, all the numbers he yeah. posted, he didn't even play in a thousand games. That's nuts. Yeah, that is nuts, actually. And also, uh, as for Crosby not reaching the 1,000th game yet, I mean, I think that ha- largely has to do with the fact that he had all those uh concussions that's Um, true too that also held them back yeah um so the bruins play they play the avalanche now i'll give a recap next week um even though technically they play today and you guys will know um who won that game um when 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 you hear this uh they play chicago on tuesday they play anaheim and la back to back on friday and saturday um, those are both in California. Um, but yeah, so, um, it should be interesting set of games. Um, yeah, this is around the time where the Bruins can't get complacent. I know they're playing team like last place teams, but at the same time, it's like, you know, these are teams that we should be. Um, and, um, I am getting kind of worried, like the fact that we lost that Rangers game, um, the fact that like Halleck was blowing a lead like that, um, and then we almost blew a lead to the Kings, um, it's just like it's it's frustrating beyond the belief because we know what the Bruins are capable of. Um, it's just we're not getting the results, and you know, like this is the time where we kind of need those points, especially when Montreal is better than expected, Buffalo is better than expected, um, you know, Detroit has their moments. Um, we're not going to catch up to Toronto and Tampa, and that's fine. That's probably what we thought was going to happen. But, like, you can't let Montreal and Buffalo beat you because the Bruins are a better team than Montreal um, and Buffalo. So it's it, it's frustrating when, uh, when that happens. But whatever, it's whatever at this point. Um, hopefully we can just make the playoffs. <laughs> I think that's my only hope, really. Um, but I don't think we're playing to our potential. 
Um, maybe if we get Panarin, I think that could put us over the edge. But at the moment, um, I don't think we're we're ready. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Well, at least you're not under the threat of losing some big-name players, unlike my team. That's that's a good point. <laughs> it's true. In, in fact, we're on the other end where we're hoping to get guys yeah, like we're hoping to get yeah. somebody, yeah. <laughs> And maybe you'll get one of our guys. We'll maybe. See. We'll see, yeah. There are rumors that we might get Duchesne or Dezingle. We'll see, but, um, yeah. Um, Duchesne and Stone in Winnipeg would look slick. I will say that. Yeah. If the Jets land one of those two guys, look out for those. Yeah, that would be they're, nice. They're good now, but look out for them. Right, yeah, I know. Because the Jets just need a center, um, yeah. really. But, um, yeah, no, I was thinking, like, if the Bruins get Duchesne... It would be like having Krejci on your third line is like almost unfair. So it's uh, um, it would be nuts if, if we could get Duchesne. But, yeah, um, and, and that's the other thing because if you remember when uh, there was all that talk of them trying to get Kovalchuk and trying to get uh, yeah. Tavares and maybe even Panarin, I remember there were, there were rumblings that uh, Krejci wasn't too thrilled, so... Right, no, I mean... That, that's the other thing I'm Krejci. concerned about is yeah. how Krejci you know, can be affected by that if they go true, out true. like that. So. Well, I mean, Krejci would have... Oh, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Krejci, Krejci oh, no. to be fair, Krejci's had a great year. It's true, he's, yeah, he's he, he is good. pretty good. It's just... Uh, I think I'd rather have Duchesne than Krejci, though. But, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. All right, uh, that's it. That's it for us here. Um... You can catch us on Twitter at Lace and Podcast. We update pretty frequently um, there on Twitter. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. Um, but those are the main two. Um, so follow us there. Subscribe so you can be updated. Um, and please give us good ratings or, or bad ratings, I guess, at yeah. this point. Be, give us Be honest. honest ratings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Give us whatever <laughs> tell, ratings. Tell us, tell us what you Just want to Just as long as you pay attention. Yeah. yeah. Just as long as you pay attention to us. Um, <laughs> you can email us at laceuppodcast or laceupbag at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 159. Hopefully, Leafs free news on the Lace Up podcast. We'll see. <laughs>